Another great episode of Red Sea Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you hear, please go to our website, redsearadio.org, and donate to our apostolate, or even become a member of our Immaculata Recurring Gift Society and keep us on the air. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Judy Como, here in our wonderful office space at St. Mary's Student Center on the campus of Texas A&M University. Whoop! Welcome to all of our listeners here locally on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley. Listeners from over in Central Texas, KYAR 98.3 FM. And then our good friends from Palestine, KINF 107.9 FM. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today we're going to jump right into this interview with our friend from the Diocese of Austin, Becca Spalacy. How are you, Becca? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be with you today. Well, I love it when a plan comes together. I'm not, I think that's from Cool Hand Luke, but I'm not really sure. I, I think so. But anyways. We'll just go with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, friends. Dennis says it's A-team. The A-team? Oh. <laughs> I okay, I pitied the fool. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, people who know me know I have to tell one story to tell another story, but uh, curves and swerves and uh, roadblocks came up, and the good Lord helped me open an email that told me about this upcoming webinar tonight. And liturgy's my thing. I love me some liturgy and love to learn more. And so tell us a little bit about yourself, Becca, and what brings you to the Diocese of Austin and here today to talk about liturgy. Sure, sure, sure. So I, I'm also a story person. I think it's the hazard of doing liturgy is that you just can just keep <laughs> going. But uh, so I'll try to get the short version. So I'm originally from right outside of Seattle. So you can't hold the football or the baseball against me. I did move. Okay. Um, so yeah. Enough said. None of yeah, exactly. Um, I was, I wasn't born Catholic. I was born into a very um, active Episcopal church family. My grandfather was a priest. My sister's actually an Episcopal church deacon. Um, so I have, you know, a huge background in being in church and, and loving the Lord and loving liturgy in that sense, but not necessarily in a Catholic way. Um, I actually kind of joke that when my parents were giving me the talk about, you know, who you can marry and date, it, you know, it was a list of everything but Catholic. And huh. it wasn't coming from a bad place. It was just, I didn't grow up around Catholics. Um, I actually, you know, the Western Washington, Pacific Northwest area is very secular anyways. So the fact that I ever made it to church is a testament to the fact that God knew what he was doing. Um, but for some reason, I'm still not quite sure how it all worked out. I went to Catholic University for undergraduate. Well, when so, I was reading your bio, I was kind of like, okay, sure yeah, there's a story uh, to tell for that. <laughs> basically, they had a debate team and they would give me a lot of money to go to school. So I said, sure, that sounds good. Um, and I was, you know, fully committed to not doing the Catholic thing. It was kind of funny. I was like, no, I will do everything but the Catholic stuff. Even my theology classes that we were required to take, I tried to stay very far away from the Catholic ones. Um, but because God has a great sense of humor, I married an Italian Catholic. 
<laughs> so I was doomed. Like we, I was just going to wind up Catholic at that part at that point. Uh, but so we moved to New Jersey because that's where he was from. So go Phillies and Eagles. And yes, you can hold both of those against me. We're still good with them. So you're still uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty committed there. <laughs> well, it, it, it works. Um, I, I, so then we went to graduate school, um, the diocese of Camden, which was the Catholic diocese that we were in had a wonderful program where they were helping discount tuition for people. Um, so my husband took advantage of it and I said, well, I'll tag along. It sounds like fun. Uh, so I went up back at a Catholic university, still Episcopalian, still dead set. We're not going to do this Catholic thing. Um, and then we needed jobs. You know, I, I hear when you grow up, you kind of need to, to do things to pay for life. Hmm. Um, and we were struggling with master's degrees to do that. Don't, so tell, I said, my, I know. don't tell my husband that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep going to school because the longer I go to school, the longer I can put off this growing up thing. Um, so my husband and I decided, you know, he, he was actually studying the Anglican Ordinariate. So we had to go somewhere that had a consortium attached to it where he could study with Anglicans and Catholics or Episcopalians and Catholics. Uh, in most of the U.S., consortiums are far apart in distance where you have to drive to one or the other. Uh, turns out in Toronto, they're close together. So he said, well, hey, th this looks like an interesting idea. Let's go to graduate school in Toronto. I said, OK, they have an Anglican school, which is the global version of being Episcopalian. I'll go there. Um, so I got a doctorate from an Anglican school in, in liturgical theology and in systematics. I uh, wrote my doctoral thesis actually on Episcopal church funeral liturgies. But in the middle of doing all of that, I have what I call my John Henry Newman moment. I okay. Said, I can't do this anymore. Um, you know, I was studying a great deal. And one of the questions that was coming up is liturgically, how do we talk about personhood? And who's a person and how do we respect them? And what do we do with with bodies of the deceased and how do we care for them? And it was becoming pretty clear that there were some inconsistencies in, in the theology in the Episcopal church that I just couldn't reconcile anymore. Um, so I finally said, all right, God, you got it. Fine, gonna go be Catholic. Um, so af after a little while of kind of finagling how that was going to work, cause we were still in Toronto, but wanted to do it. I wanted to be confirmed in New Jersey, uh, finally did it. Um, finally, finally, but the vault became Catholic actually on St. Joseph's day, uh, which was wonderful. Um, especially if you know anything about kind of Italian devotion. Well, to I, I am Italian. Um, oh, yep. So that explains the smile and not yet. So, <laughs> and my husband was, was ordained on St. Joseph's feast day a year ago. Oh, that was actually my first big liturgy for the diocese. Well, I was, was there. I was, <laughs> I was on the front row, right side. <laughs> and, you know what? And it worked. He's still a deacon. It yes, took. he is. Thank, <laughs> praise be to God. Thank, thank God. Yes. Uh, so after that, you know, the, the job then came up again. It was like, well, I've got no more school left. I have to do something. Um, and the Archdiocese of Toronto was hiring. So we stayed up there for a while. Um, they have an office. It's called the Office of Formation for Discipleship, which I think is a great model for kind of integrated church ministry. Um, so that's where I went as a liturgist to help specifically do lay liturgical formation. And we stuck around up there for a bit. And then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. um, and all of our families in the States. And after a year and a half of really not being able to see them and wrestling with all of that, we kind of looked at each other and said, we got to go home somehow. And I said, okay, I'll start looking for a job. And all I told God was put me anywhere where I have family or where my husband has family. I don't want to live kind of in the middle of nowhere. We've done this before. So I was thinking my family's on the West coast. His family's all on the East coast. I was thinking somewhere there. And this job in Austin popped up. <laughs> I said, well, okay, that's nice. And then I thought about it. I've got an aunt and uncle who live in Dallas. 
So it actually is, you know, it's not immediately close, but God said, I put you by family, just not the family you were thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's how we, that's the the short long version of how we wound up here is, is God just kind of saying, yeah, you're going to get what you asked for. It's not in the way you intended. And how long have y'all been here? We moved here January of last year. Okay. So what are we, a year and a half? There you go. Well, a lot of people say, you know, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as quick as I could. That kind that's of thing. That's exactly what it is. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So uh, you are the director of the Office of Worship for the Diocese of Austin. And yep. was uh, is your job something you, you were already familiar with and you just kind of eased on into it? Or has it been a big upheaval as t- or a little of both? So it's been a little bit of both. So there's there's two parts of my job. So one of them is I assist Bishop Vasquez as in his role as the chief liturgist for the Diocese of Austin. So what that looks like is a lot of um, helping plan big diocesan liturgies. So ordinations, chrism mass, the 75th anniversary, all of the church dedications that are coming up, including at St. Mary's. Yes. Um, which is very exciting. Um, so anything that he's presiding at um, or that our Vicar General, Father Misko, is presiding at, I tend to get involved in, um, which is wonderful. So um, that means things like approving um, it's the liturgical planning form. I, you know, all of our liturgical ministers and pastors just love them. Um, but it is very helpful because what it does is it puts in what the music is, what the readings are, things like that. And we can talk through things like that. And I can help Bishop Vasquez kind of get a shape of what that liturgy is going to look like. Yeah. At um, kind of, I'm laughing because I am, <laughs> uh, I've only been at our parish for a year because when my husband was ordained, we were assigned to another parish, not our home parish. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a pastoral musician, youth minister, the rules are usually not really that important. So we would get this form that you're talking about. And uh, one of our priests at the time said, here, this is what we're doing. And I'm like, Father, I, I don't know any of these songs that you picked out. Oh, they don't even read that. Don't worry about it. And I was like, like, <laughs> and I sometimes said, you know, like, is Bishop Joe going to stop in the middle of the uh, offertory song and say, this isn't the song you said you were going to play? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know those forms exist, oh, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I know I, I understand how paperwork. I, I, I joke and it's the irony of moving back and forth between countries and going to graduate school. I don't like paperwork, um, but it, it's it's a necessary part of our life unfortunately and, yeah. and the, the purpose of them really is to start a conversation um so it's it's I help facilitate that conversation and so that's part of it the other part of course is I if he has questions or wants to kind of know what the shape of the liturgical landscape is at the moment I consult with him on those things I keep up to date with what the bishop's conference is doing what the universal church is doing things of, of that sort um so that was that was a bit new for me because in Toronto um the Cardinal Archbishop had his own priestly secretary who basically handled all of his liturgies. So we would get involved if it was something really complicated or that just needed a lot of people. But for the most part, that wasn't my job. The second part, though, um, of my job currently is what I was doing a lot of, which is working with parishes and liturgical ministers in parishes to help with training and formation and that kind of education, which is what I really enjoy, of course, planning prison mass or things like that. That's great fun. They're beautiful. They're amazing. I enjoy it, but it's, it's a great joy to be able to work with people and have them have those moments where they say, Oh, that's why we do that. Yeah. That's what that means. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a generalization. I don't know, but 
people show up at mass every Sunday and the candles are lit and the music is playing and the lector and all those liturgical ministers show up and your purse, everybody else says they only really recognize what they didn't light the candles or (laughs) there wasn't enough people for this or that, but without really thinking that a lot of planning and a lot of scheduling and details of they had to go to the training to be an extraordinary minister and then get the schedule and then show up and all those kind of things. It's a lot of working parts. Then that gets upped if it is something that the bishop is going to preside at, all the different things that have to fall into place for that to happen. So uh, kudos to you and your new job. And uh, so... We're going to move into the meat of what we're going to talk about. And because I read that you were having this webinar about liturgical uh, practices, and I said, maybe she'll come on and give us a little mini part of it and tell everybody how they can follow into the webinars and the other things that are available through the office. Mm -hmm. Yep. So one of the things, because we, we are working on providing for that kind of ongoing formation is we realized that we're pretty good in general as Catholics, but we're good in this diocese about telling people what to do. Training is in a lot of respects, pretty easy. Um, Here's what you do. Here's where you stand. Here's how you hand out communion. Here's how you read music. Here's how you read out of a lectionary. But what we found was kind of going on was that people don't necessarily understand what is behind that, the theology behind why we do those things, which actually helps with training. If you know why you do things, if you forget maybe how you can you can fix it and you can adjust. Um, so from a really practical perspective, we started to say, well, we have to provide this kind of training and formation for people. Um, it's actually what the church envisions when it talks about liturgical ministers. It's not just that you know what to do, but why you're doing it, and to understand the kind of theology that, that goes with that. So we started thinking how best to do that. Um, you know, I, I I like writing things. I've got no problem writing documents and papers and things like that, but no one reads them. <laughs> Um, and we do have a very large diocese, so trying to have everybody come to Austin. It's like work. playing music while people are eating. Exactly, exactly. Um, it sounds good in theory, and then it just never works. Eh, nobody's listening. <laughs> but um, so we, we decided you know, maybe webinars would be a good kind of entry point, because you can obviously join from wherever you are. Uh, and if you can't join that day, you can access the content later on. So we're once a month-ish through September, we're offering these webinars on liturgical formation. So they're geared specifically for liturgical ministers, but anyone who really wants to know more about that particular topic is welcome to join us. So last month we did one on the universal call to holiness and the liturgical minister, which if you haven't had a chance to see it, um, go on our website, it's austindiocese.org backslash formation dash webinars. And it's just a great, I think, I'm I'm a little biased, I I gave the webinar, but on, what our vocation as baptized Catholics is first and foremost. I think we forget that sometimes as liturgical ministers, we want to do things all Mm -hmm. the time. And this was the reminder that our first call is to pray mass well and to be holy. So that was the first one. This one that's coming up uh, tonight is on the liturgy, just in general, an introduction to what it is, how we pray it, some documents around it. And then we're going to have three more, one on Eucharistic theology. So it's geared a bit towards Extraordinary Ministers of Holy Communion, but obviously, if you want to join us, you're more than welcome. Uh, the music and the liturgy, uh, there's there's a lot there. I don't think we're going to run out of things to talk about with musicians. I'm <laughs> um, in scripture and the liturgy. 
I got to tell what I think is a funny story is that uh, I'm sure there is extreme effort to be pastoral at a funeral or at a wedding or things like that. Emotions are high. And uh, so there was this church and the person who passed away was a big Elvis fan and uh, they were requesting some music. And Elvis had some gospel music and things like that. And they were, you know, being gentle, <laughs> saying, and finally she said, look, the only way that music is going to be played at this funeral is if Elvis shows up himself. <laughs> and they hired an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> oh, God bless them. And it worked. It really worked out. Perhaps it was skirting the liturgical... Uh, <laughs> But again, so sometimes you can follow what they said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, if nothing else, this is why you pre-pray in your funeral so we can have these conversations. Correct, about correct. So you, you mentioned rabbit holes earlier today, and I just took us down one. Oh, but anyways. That's, that's my new favorite. I love that story. That's that's now on the list of great things that happen at funerals. <laughs> um, like I said, I wrote my doctoral thesis on funerals, and so I have... I have many interesting things that happened at funeral stories. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know what, that's, that's a part of liturgy just in general. I think a lot of times we we want it to be perfect. And I had a professor that said, you know, there's only one perfect liturgy. It's in heaven. Uh, so be glad when you don't have it perfect. It means you're not dead. Okay. Uh, which I think is interesting life advice. I mean, of course we want it to be as perfect as we can. We want to give the best we can to God, but something's going to happen, you know? And and that's okay. And and we just we roll with it, which is the point again of, of formation and training so that we can learn how to roll with it when we have to. Absolutely. Um, and then at some point Elvis is just gonna show up. <laughs> 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 you know. <laughs> that's great. Yes, it um, is. That might make it into my uh, webinar tonight. <laughs> I'm here for you. I am here I, for you, Becca. I, I love it. I love it. I appreciate it. But so, so the webinar tonight is really about kind of what is liturgy and kind of what its purpose is and how we enter that uh, more prayerfully. So we're going to really look at this idea of, of liturgy being about the praise of God for the sanctification of the whole world. That, you know, I, I spent about a week trying to distill what, what liturgy is, and that's, that's what kept coming up. And I think it's the best definition we have for it. Yeah. Can you say it again? Sure. It's the praise of God for the sanctification of the world. So everything else we talk about with it, when we talk about it as a means of grace, which it absolutely is, any liturgy, uh, any sacrament is a means by which we access grace. But at the end of it, it's, it's we're doing those two things. Why do we praise God? We praise God liturgically so that the world can be sanctified, so that we can be made holy. Um, so that even when we talk about things, you know, I'm a liturgist, so Sacrosanctum Concilium is, you know, it has to be up there on my list of favorite church documents. Uh, but when it talks about font and summit, or, you know, as we sometimes translate it, source and summit mm-hmm. uh, regarding the Eucharist, its purpose really is to say that helps us be nourished now. That's what liturgy does. It nourishes us now so we can go out into the world. And so why do we bother going out into the world? We go out into the world so that we can sanctify it, so that we can make it holy. Um, and then we come back so that we can be filled and made holy so that we can go out and do that again um, so that ev- every liturgy is ultimately geared towards in some way, giving us grace to go back out 
and do that. Uh, and then my, my other favorite way to, there's, there's two other ways I like to look at liturgy and I'm going to say this one's my favorite, but actually all three are probably my favorite <laughs> uh, is, is that it, it brings heaven to earth and it brings earth to heaven. And I think one of the dangers that happens with people that do liturgy a lot um, and that either go to mass a lot, go to liturgical celebrations a lot or, or work in this is that it becomes normal and it becomes ordinary mm-hmm. and it is absolutely anything but that um, it's, it's that moment where, you know, at the Eucharistic prayer, when it's called the epiclesis, right. When we're asking mm-hmm. the Holy spirit to come on to the bread and the wine and to make them the body and blood of Christ, that that's, that's God coming to earth in a really specific way that we haven't seen since the incarnation. Um, but the flip side of that is if heavens come to earth, we're with heaven. Uh, and it's the closest to heaven and divine unification. We're going to get this side of, of eternity. That's absolutely amazing. And I don't think we spend enough time thinking about what that actually means. No, and, and all of heaven. Yes. Not just God, not just Jesus, not just the Holy Spirit, all of heaven. So our grandmas that we were talking about and yep. Padre Pio. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's, um, you know, we're going to talk about this a bit more in, in the Eucharistic theology webinar, but that if you look at the Eucharistic prayer, it prays for the whole church in a really interesting way. Um, it prays for the souls in purgatory. They're there. It prays for all of us on earth, right? We're all there at mass, every single person. And then it prays to all of the saints in heaven, right? Asking for their intercession. And that means, yeah, my, my grandma, it means Padre Pio. It means the Holy Trinity. It means everybody is brought to this moment, which is absolutely remarkable. And, and something that I think is, is such an amazing gift of Catholic liturgical theology to say, that's what we're doing. Is it in that moment, the entire church, right? You know, we used to call it church militant, church suffering, church triumphant, but you know, the entire church is brought together in this moment. Um, and, and we just kind of go, eh. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who's the mass at St. Joseph was uh, daily mass today was for her mother on the anniversary of her death. And she said, you know, y'all please pray for me. This is sometimes a sad day. And mm-hmm. um, as an encouragement, I was like, nobody understands that sadness like the blessed mother. So unite that with her offer for the Holy souls in purgatory. And just remember that's the closest you're going to be to your mom until you are fully united with her in the beatific vision. And again, that's lost on, you know, and as much as I'll drive to the church and be focused and this is going to be the, oh, look, I haven't seen her in so long. <laughs> and right. you're easily, so easily distracted from the whole purpose of why we're there. Right. But it's also why all of these kind of things around the liturgy are so important. So because I didn't grow up Catholic, I have a lot of family who's not just Episcopalian, but various and sundry other kinds of Protestants. Um, and then I've got lots of friends who are atheists. And one of the critiques that gets leveled, I think we all know this at the church, is all of the extraneous stuff we have liturgically. Um, by that, I mean candles, incense, altar cloths, vestments, all of those things. But all of those things help us as embodied people understand that what's happening is important. I mean, you don't put candles around things that aren't special. I mean, we know this at dinner, right? At, at big fancy dinner parties, you want to see candles and flowers on your table or around it. Um, having incense just because makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It, it tells you something different is going on. It's important. 
Um, and so the more we strip back from that sometimes, the easier I think it is to forget what's going on. All of these things around liturgy that are that are part of it, but maybe not essential, help point to what's essential, which is why it's, it's important to do as, as well as we can. And as universally as we can. Indeed. Indeed. You know, I, we're going to go there. <laughs> we're going to go there when you get the call. Well, you can't do that this at that parish, but they do it at the other parish. And mm-hmm. here in Bryan College Station, there's five vibrant churches uh, within probably five miles of each other. And, you know, there's certainly are in our humanity wanting things the way we want them. And it happens and it's distressing. And I don't know. I, that's why I want to go to heaven because it'll be perfect when we get there. Indeed. But for now, we're stuck here. <laughs> yes. It, it, you know, it's interesting because this, this question comes up a lot. You know, the, the emails and the phone calls I get, you know, why can we do it this way here and not this way there? Um, so I'll tease a little bit more of what's going to be in the webinar. One of the things we're going to talk about is this kind of understanding of universal norms and policies and then diocesan and parish allowances and adaptations that can happen. So there's certain things that absolutely have to happen. And if you don't have them, it's not valid mass. Um, You know, the makeup of a host, the makeup of wine, things of that sort. If you don't have them, it's not valid. Uh, The words the presider has to say, you know, if he doesn't say them. um, There's an allowance in the theology for father to accidentally say the wrong thing, but he needs to intend to say the right thing. Uh, those sorts of things have to be there. Um, what goes on an altar actually, to some extent, is ritually prescribed, to some extent isn't. Uh, but there's a lot of allowance for variation. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing when it's done intentionally. Is, you know, I, I go to church, I live in Maynard, and my, my reality in Maynard is different than maybe the reality of someone in downtown Austin. Um, and that's not a bad thing. And that's because we bring ourselves to liturgy having those differences within what's allowed is a really beautiful thing because it's meant to be us bringing ourselves to mass and us bringing ourselves to the liturgy. Uh, you know, one of the things also that I just, it, it makes my heart happy is, so I spent 10 years in Canada, which means I'm spending 10 years around um, a lot of French culture coming into the liturgy, a lot of uh, Filipino actually, just because of how populations mm-hmm. immigrate and things like that. So having those kind of cultures and culturate into the liturgy in ways that are allowed is beautiful. And then coming here where a lot of things are Mexican and South American and just understanding and seeing how the church has space for all of that um, is, is a wonderful thing that I think, again, it's the beauty of the liturgies. It gives us a box that we can say, this is what you have to do within that though, bring you because you're important. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great way to describe it. Um, sometimes jokingly say, so a priest can do anything they want to do as long as they say extraordinary in front of it, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, getting there. (laughs) Pastoral adaptation. Um, We are very fortunate, you know, in in this diocese. And I I was talking to a friend of mine in a a diocese that shall remain nameless about, you know, the the liturgy wars that I think if you spend any time in, in the liturgical world or Catholic news world, you see. Um, but I think we're very fortunate. A lot of that has to do with Bishop Vasquez and the people he kind of puts around him and the people that are ordained and called into, you know, priestly ministry in this diocese that, yes, we absolutely have different styles of, of liturgy here. But I think one of the greatest testaments to this diocese is when you go to chrism mass or ordinations or dedications or any of these big diocesan masses, 
that all gets put aside and we all can say we're going to worship God this way together with our bishop and with the people of God, that doesn't happen everywhere. And mm-hmm. so to be in a spot where that can happen is a testament just to everybody and everything going on here. Yeah, it really is. Um, <clears throat> I've I've been to several several of those uh, liturgies that you described, and it it you know it truly is an elevation. It is a way to participate, full active conscious participation, uh, in a way unlike a daily mass, which has its own power and beauty and reverence attached to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- th- there is something about. Um going to these masses, especially the ones outside of your local kind of Sunday mass, daily mass understanding. And that, that can be, you know, if you go to another Eucharistic liturgy, so if you go to chrism mass, um, but then even things like, you know, I tell people go to ordinations, go to weddings. You don't need an invitation to go to the wedding. You need the invitation to go to the reception, Um, go to weddings, go to funerals, um, go to final professions or even temporary professions of religious vows, all of these things because all of them convey grace, but all of them also help us see the church in a, in a bigger way. Um, you know, the local church is the diocese. It's not our parish. And I think it's very easy to unintentionally become congregationalist, to unintentionally say my church is my little parish is the important thing. And it is important. It's remarkably important. But these bigger liturgies give us that wonderful opportunity to say we're part of something bigger than just my parish, my, even my deanery or my local area. Exactly. I was very blessed to go to the installation masses for Bishop David Condola and Bishop Mike Sis, uh, not in that order, but, um, (laughs) it's just, I was just, you know, and I was like, I'm going to be the first one through the door. I want to sit where I want to sit and have the right angle, but this much, uh, smaller scale, like the chrism mass or these ordinations. But when you see this white wave of men processing in and, uh, like these two men and two bishops in particular that I know by name. And it's just this, if, if you ever have just a little bit of doubt of what you're doing and how you're doing it to see, this has just got to be the fullness of truth that, Everything points to it. Yeah. And yeah, no, can absolutely. point to it when liturgy is done well. Right. I mean, and, and that's the beautiful thing about it. And you can take it to the consecration of a bishop or his installation and seeing those things, you know, or someone's baptism. That if an alien were to just kind of come down and watch this, on the one hand, it's one of the strangest things. Uh, you know, we're talking about metaphorically dying and rising with a baby. Like, who, who wants to do that? What, why would you do that? But then you sit with this liturgy and you pray with it and you suddenly realize it's about so much more than that. And it's about being part of this amazing church that Christ instituted um, in a way that I could explain that to you. I could tell you that. But to live it out liturgically is so much more impactful. Um, You know, I think the first I I tell people the first Catholic wedding I ever went to was mine, (laughs) which Hmm. I, I don't really recommend. But there's something amazing about that and going, you know, my understanding of Catholic theology, it was explained to me, you know, I've I've gone to Catholic school for a very long time and taking courses on Catholic marriage and the theology of marriage, but to actually sit there and pray those prayers and to hear them, that's a much different way that you come to understand these things. Um, You know, Catholic funerals, you know, I've, I've been to lots of Protestant funerals and lots of Catholic funerals. And I'll tell you, I can tell you the Catholic church's theology around resurrection. 
But there's something amazing about watching a priest walk in, in white, treating a casket like it's a baby being baptized, all of these things, and suddenly realizing this is what it is to talk about the resurrection. Um, and it's so much more impactful than just hearing it. Oh, I could not agree more with you. Uh, that little booklet, The Christian Rite of Funeral Mass, is such a teaching tool, and most people don't even pick it up because they're like, I know what the Mass is, and people right. who are not Catholic, and all those little jewels of underneath it'll say, the priest does such and such, and the, the Paul is this, and the enter into the, you know, the references that yep. that little book makes is just, it's wow. A, it's, amazing. it's a wow. wow. But that's also why I think it's so important. I, I think a lot of times our, our liturgical experience is very much, you know, we go to mass on Sundays, maybe daily mass. We'll go to baptisms and confirmations, especially if there's someone related to us. We will eventually probably go to a wedding and we'll probably go to a funeral, but we don't go to them often. All of them are connected liturgically and theologically. And so the more you go to them, the more those connections make sense. You know, baptisms and funerals are, are very closely linked liturgically. But if you haven't been to a baptism in 20 years, when you go to a funeral, you might not necessarily make those connections. That doesn't make the funeral any less valid. It doesn't make it any less important. But you're missing out on something if you don't understand and you can't make those connections. Uh, you know, we, I was at one of their last church dedications. I think it was when we were at San Jose. And it finally clicked in my head. And this is a case study and you have to do these multiple times for it to, to stick. But I finally looked and I said, we're baptizing a church, mm -hmm. which isn't quite what's going on. But there's the same kind of symbols. And there's a procession into the church where the bishop sprinkles holy water throughout the church. He incenses the altar and then it's covered in a cloth, a white cloth. This is the same kind of symbolism that because I don't go to baptisms very often, my brain doesn't immediately pick up on. But, oh, my goodness, once it did, it changes how you look at it. Um, so all the more go to as many liturgies as you possibly oh, can. Oh, absolutely. And, more, I, more impactful. you know, there's as many uh, opinions as there are people. Uh, <clears throat> it's nice when there's a baptism within a regular Sunday mass that the entire congregation is there rather mm -hmm. than this. We're doing baptisms on Saturday at 10 o'clock. Both are in this necessary for the life of the church and all of that. But <clears throat> what a wonderful way to have this baptism and meet people in the congregation and mm -hmm, grow absolutely. in community. And, and to hear those words remind us, you know, even the sprinkling ride at the Easter season, yes. we say, yeah, I do. <laughs> we renew our vows and everything, but you're just really wondering is the turkey going to be ready at the right? <laughs> right. Um, which is what, I mean, it, it, it's also why, you know, I was talking to someone actually specifically about the Easter Vigil and they said, you know, I went once, I don't need to go again. I said, but you do um, because you're in a different place every year. Mm -hmm. You know, one year I might not be able to be paying attention as much because I have young children who I'm just trying to make sure, you know, they're not completely losing their minds by 11 o'clock at night. And that's okay. God, God understands that. The church understands that. But, you know, five years later, they're a little bit older and you can pray differently and you're in a different place. Uh, you know, I, I had a friend who got in a terrible boating accident. And when he goes to the Easter Vigil and hears all these things about water, it means something different to him than it mm -hmm. does to me. Um, but that's important. And that when he's there, that all brings meaning and his his location and place in life 
changes based on when he's there and what he's experienced. And so it's, don't just go once, keep, keep going. And it's, it's okay to have a bad year. It's okay to have a bad day, but just go again. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> I have, uh, both my daughters got married in 2021 and oh, one grandchild was born in 2022 and another was born right after that. So I have two grandsons that are 10 months old and six months old. Oh, and, uh, uh, my oldest, He's fine, but had a medical issue that when he was two months old, brought him to the ER. We were in Georgetown and called and just said, okay, we've had this baptism conversation, but I think if y'all are open to that, he should be baptized so he can therefore be anointed because he's going to have to go into surgery. And it was all agreed upon and Father Will did that for us and then... Now, just a couple of months ago, our second grandson, Keith, was able to baptize him and uh, made it extra special. But the the teachings of what baptism actually is, I, you know, I think we need to hear it once a year or, you know, attend those classes. Like you say, uh, there's so much to be learned about our sacraments and that continually points us to the liturgy. Absolutely. And it's it's why it's so important to... You know, so so one of the the things that I love to do is is help in RCIA, and one of the things at the end of RCIA that we talk about is mystagogy, post baptismal catechesis, and we can do that with any sacrament. And I think one of the amazing things that actually happens is if you invite people that have experienced a sacrament of whatever it is to come and talk about it. You get five people, you're going to get six different explanations for mm-hmm. what happened, and that's amazing. You know, I I heard someone say one time that means they didn't understand it because they got different answers. And it's, I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's, they understand what it needs to be for them in that moment. And we're all enriched by hearing that. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the more of these you participate in, and the more you learn about them, the more it changes how you interact with it, which then changes how you interact with other people and how it doesn't change the grace you receive, but it changes how you receive it and how you live it out in the world. Wow. I almost need you to repeat all of that again so I can oh dear. Uh, dive right in. No, I'm just just kidding. Yeah, I, I want to I, I know if we can do that again. Point out that we have about four more minutes. So I wanted to uh give you the free mic to talk about anything going on with the webinar that you really think our listeners would benefit from hearing in the few minutes of this sure. session. Um, so I I really do hope that, you know, if if they're available today, they can come and join us. I'm gonna um, email Caleb the link, so it'll be in the show notes, but it's austindiocese.org backslash formation dash webinars. Um, so we hope you can join us, you know, even if you aren't at all involved in liturgy, other than just showing up to mass, we're going to talk about why that's actually the most important thing you can do. It's not an other or an also running. Yeah, and you'll get to just talk freely without me interrupting you. <laughs> I, I love the interruptions. They're great. Um, it's fun to talk to someone, not just myself. Um but so I, I do hope you'll be able to come and to come to all of the rest of them. It's we're better hearing from all of you that one of the things that I'm experiencing from having these kind of conversations is it's helping me be better at what I do, which then in turn means I can help advise Bishop Vasquez and it makes everything better just in the long run. So it's please come if you can. If you can't come, please watch the webinars when they're put up um, and please feel free to reach out to me anyway. My contact information is up on that slide deck. I can share it. Um, I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear from everybody kind of where you are, what you need from us. Um, because at the end of the day, 
liturgy is all about helping all of us get holy, get to heaven and sanctify the world. And if there's some reason you can't do that, if there's something getting in the way with your understanding of liturgy, its accessibility, whatever that looks like, um, we need to know about it. You know, one of the things we're working on is actually how we make liturgy more accessible to people. So that means I need to know where it's not accessible. So please help us help everybody. Absolutely. So I want to thank our listeners for being with us here today. Uh, we've been talking to Becca Spalacy, who is the director of the Office of Worship in the Austin Diocese. And I'm going to get you to put your contact in the webinar information one more time within the... Sure. So the webinar, it's www.austindiocese.org backslash formation dash webinars. Um, and my contact information, so it's my name, which is Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, dash spellacy, S-P-E-L-L-A-C-Y, at austindiocese.org. Um, or you're also always welcome to call my office number is 512-949-2453. Um, so I do love talking to people, believe it or not. So well, please. you're very good at it as well. Um, and uh, thank you. we um, can we can have those football Baseball conversations yeah. off air. No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. So tonight's webinar will be entitled. It's the uh, introduction to the liturgy. So okay. it starts at seven o'clock to eight 30. Okay. And the upcoming ones will be. Uh, so they're every month. The schedule is on the website. Um, I, we're aiming for the last Wednesday of the month just to keep it standard at seven o'clock. Cool. Yeah. Well, I sure am glad that I opened that email that we get on Fridays to hear about it. And I want to thank all of our listeners for being here. We are always happy here at Red Sea Roundup to learn more about our liturgy, learn more about what we do as Catholics together. So go out and spread the news. I can't Cause I am